0: We are live in the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse at 67 East 11th Street in the landmark cast iron building, Greenwich Village, City of New York. We start tonight as we always do. To those of you who are here for the first time, welcome. To those who have been here before, welcome home. Tonight's book, 100 Years of Who's Who in Baseball, published by Lions Press, please join me as we welcome to the clubhouse Douglas Lyons, and welcome home to the clubhouse, Marty Appel. Thank you. Thanks okay. so much. Uh, I'm just going to ask a couple things oh, just yeah, to get yeah. us going, just mainly about. Well, first,
1: how long have I owned Lyons Press? Yeah, that's no, right. my first question. Not related to that. Apparently, <laughs> not related
0: to no. Lyons Press. All right. Well, that was fascinating. Okay.
2: And uh, <laughs> what he is related to is a great story. You might ask him about that.
0: Marty,
2: <laughs> Doug comes from a <coughs> fantastic family, and his father Leonard Lyons was like the legendary society columnist, New York Post. Did he work anyplace else, or was it always the Post? Post, that's yeah. It. Hey, excuse me. Before that, the uh, Jewish Daily Forward. Oh, okay. So yeah, always. Any of you
1: remember the old joke about the Jewish Daily Forward? I got a hot scoop. Hold the back page.
2: <laughs>
0: That's a very old joke, I'm sorry.
2: Yeah. Right. Doug has a very uh, distinguished family, and you, you may have known his late brother George, who was a great baseball collector in the early days of baseball collecting. And his brother Jeffrey is one of the most celebrated uh, film and theater critics. And Red in America. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh, not an annoying Red Sox fan, like a nice guy, Red Sox fan. (laughs) So, uh, that's that. Should I talk about how this came to be?
0: You just read my mind. Yeah.
2: Um, I do an occasional column in uh, Sports Collectors Digest. And about seven or eight years ago, (coughs) maybe a little less, I did one on who's who in baseball, because it's this little publication that we see every year and it makes you feel good because you know it's spring, baseball's around the corner It always (coughs) comes out nice and early like mid to late February and you know if you like the baseball register that was a great book by the Sporting News in its day but this one was so portable you could carry it in a pocket almost and leave it on the coffee table and keep it there all season for reference so I always loved this the first one I ever got as a kid was in 1957, and uh, it was a good year. I've had them since and I then retro bought them almost all the way back. They got very expensive in the early years, especially if Babe Ruth was on the cover. So I don't have the full run, but I've got an awful lot of them. Anyway, I wrote this column about who's who in baseball, got picked up in Sports Collector's Digest. And about a year and a half ago, I got a call from the publisher of Sports Collector's Digest, and they saw my story online. They have their 100th edition coming up in 2015, and would I be interested in getting involved somehow? Now, you probably know I also have a PR company. That's really what they were talking about. So I wound up doing the PR for their 100th edition, but at the same time, I came up with an idea for them, of publishing a book just with the hundred covers. Um, it's almost like a flip book because they're all you know on the left-hand side of the page and you just see baseball history between <coughs> your eyes as you see all these covers. So I wrote a forward for that and I did a complete separate forward, a whole different one, for the annual edition, which is pretty unusual to have any editorial in there you know, forward for the book. Uh, we needed to embellish... The 100 Covers concept by putting material facing the cover about the season past and why the guy was picked for the cover and what else happened (laughs) in the season. And I know Doug really knows his baseball history, is a very good writer, and has a quirky sense of humor when it comes to baseball, Mm -hmm. kind of recognizes things that other people don't. So I called him and I said, would you like to do the editorial for this book? And it came together. It's starting in uh, February, maybe January. This started to appear on the Amazon baseball bestseller list in the top ten. I think it's got as high as number one one day. I believe so. Yeah. So it continues to sell well. And I guess it's touching the hearts and souls of people who grew up with the book and uh, just always without giving it a lot of thought just felt like uh, this makes me feel good to see this book come out so um, I did write about the history of the publication and some of the (coughs) working parts of the history but it's a beautiful thing in that it's still available in hard copy when everything else is seemingly migrated to online only I'm sure we all go to BaseballReference.com to check on player stuff. Even BaseballReference.com doesn't combine minor leagues and major leagues like this publication does. So you get the full picture of the player here in minors and majors. Um, It was a labor of love for you, wasn't it? Writing this book coincided with me breaking my right patella.
1: That too. Which meant I was home a lot. (laughs) And I had time to do all the research.
2: I'm glad my first question was, how's your patella? That's right. (laughs) That's good.
1: You know, the way my mind works, I'm going to look up to see if there's a ball player named Patella. (laughs) Lou (laughs) Patella. That's right. He's managed the Yankees. That's right. right. Uh, When Marty said, I have an unusual outlook on baseball, for some reason, I am the recognized expert on baseball tattoos, Ball players married at home plate or on the mound, like Mookie Wilson and Jeff Nelson, and uh, baseball license plates such as You Are Out. And one of my favorites from New England, uh, uh, excuse me, from uh, Pittsburgh, the uh, PR director for the Pirates has a license plate that says Scub Og, which makes no sense unless you read it backwards in your rearview mirror when it says Go Bucks. somebody in New England has a license plate that is again if you read it in your rear view mirror it says reverse the curse it has the word curse backwards and 04 which I just think is great Uh, Cy Young's license plate C511Y that's nice it's in the hall of fame Greg Nubler's
2: license plate tell us about the other books you've written
1: uh, the first book I wrote was called Out of Left Field. I wrote it with my brother Jeffrey. The um, I had a couple of titles I wanted to use, such as uh, Princess Die's Favorite Baseball Stories. But the editor said, no, no, we can't do that. I said, how about Harry Potter's Favorite Baseball? No, so we can't do that. I said, how about Married at Home Plate and other baseball stories? The editor said, no, single guys won't buy it. So we went with Out of Left Field. And the, the editor found a photograph of a guy doing a handstand on a bat. And I liked it because it makes you look at it and say, whoa, what's this? It's Danny Gardella. Played briefly uh, in the majors and then played in the Mexican leagues for two years and uh, was banned by Happy Chandler unless he came back in time for the, I think, 1950 season. And he sued Major League Baseball Lost at the trial level, but won on appeal. To take the case to the Supreme Court. Baseball settled with him. They didn't want a Supreme Court decision saying uh, you can't ban people from playing. So they gave him $50,000. He had two at bats with the Cardinals, and that was the end of his career. So I'm looking at this photograph, which I think is great. And I said, The editor said, You have to get this guy's permission to use this picture because he's in the book, but it's not about him. I said, how am I going to find out where this guy is, whether he's alive or dead or where he lives? Well, many of you probably know. You can find the book of baseball addresses. It tells you either A, when he died, or B, where he lives. lived in Yonkers, <clears throat> 20 minutes from my house. Called him up. I went to see him. I brought a tape recorder. I said, you know, you're mentioned in Van Lingle Mungo, which he then sang for me. Really? Yes. Great. I sent it to my friends at the Hall of Fame. <laughs> signed the release in this picture in the cover straight. Then we're Jeffrey and I were at the Hall of Fame doing a, a promotion of the book and we're introduced to Jeff Nelson's parents. <coughs> not the umpire, the six foot seven-inch player. And I said, You know, I have a lot of things in here like ballplayers married at phone Slate. And his mother said, Oh, Jeff was married on the Pitcher's Mound at Bakersfield. I said, Oh really? What's his wife's name? And what's the date, please? That's how the second book got started, uh, Curveballs and Screwballs. More people married at home plate. Uh, I find this very... I sat next to an older man at a bat dinner, and he was wearing a Yankee ring. And I said, Dr. Brown, what ring is that? <laughs> you know, why am I asking? He had five. Uh, 1948, he said. I had the other ones turned into a bracelet for my wife or a pendant or something like that.
3: Really? I, I
1: got a whole chapter for a book about what ring do you wear? <laughs> Jeff Torborg, Yankee ring over here, Dodger ring over there.
2: How did he have a 48 World Series ring? That's what he was wearing. But the Yankees were in the World uh, Series. Whatever year it was. Oh. I don't know if it was, exactly <laughs> it was a poetic license. You mentioned
1: <laughs> Jim Kat. He told me a story that I put in one book. It's a great story. I mean, I barely know the man. <coughs> 1960, opening day. He's the Twins pitcher in in Minneapolis against the Yankees. He's driving to the ballpark. The highway is flooded. All the cars have stopped, turned the engines off. Drivers have gotten out to stand up and to see what's going on. He turns his car around, drives to the local high school, calls the radio station, WCCO. They send a helicopter, the traffic helicopter, to pick him up and fly him the stadium to pitch opening day. I think it's a great story. People really love their baseball. I wrote a an autobiography with the greatest pitcher of all time, who pitched for 50 years. I didn't say baseball pitcher. Eddie Fainer of the King and His Court, did any of you ever see him play? He pitched underhand from second base, behind his back, from his knees, and blindfolded. For 50 years, crisscrossed the whole country. They call him the last of the barnstormers. There's four players behind him, I think, right? Pitcher, catcher, shortstop, first base. Four players on his team. he won 11 out of every 12 games. Raised a lot of money for charity. He wanted somebody to help him write his book. I said, you know, if this is going to be an, And then I struck out somebody else's book, I'm not interested. He said, I was left as a newborn wrapped in a blanket on a on the hospital steps. Oh, really? Yeah, there was a sign on me that said, this is a Christian baby. By Christian, his mother apparently meant Seventh-day Adventist, which meant no swearing, no cigarettes, no drinking, and no baseball on the Sabbath. I said, oh, yeah, I think I could write this book with you. This is interesting.
2: We wrote wrote the Seventh-day Adventist on the Yankees when I was there. Really? His name is Larry Gowell. He's famous for being the last pitcher to get a hit before the DH rule. He <laughs> pitch like one or two games. But he was pretty good. He won 78 games in the minor leagues for the Yankees. 78 games. And he never got called up. And it was because of being a Seventh-day Adventist. Wouldn't pitch on the Seventh? He wasn't available either Friday nights or Saturdays. You really no. couldn't have a guy occupying a space on the roster like that. Then I
1: was with Jeffrey in mm-hmm. uh, spring training with the Red Sox. Jeffrey's a gigantic Red Sox fan and I meet his friend Joe Castiglione the Red Sox broadcaster and Joe's telling one great story after another I said Joe when are you going to write your book he said you know when do I have time he teaches at two universities I said well you know i will be glad to help you so he wrote uh, Can You Believe It that's the most recent autobiography after 30 years with the Red Sox two biographies with him and I wrote a biography with the player who is the nexus between baseball and my day job, I'm a criminal lawyer, Jim Lairitz, he wanted to write his biography, I helped him with that, acquitted of vehicular homicide, convicted of drunk driving, but okay.
2: And You didn't get him acquitted though?
1: No, I said, look, I'm not going to give you legal advice. You have a lawyer in Florida, great. Apparently there are two different kinds of law in this country. Florida law and everything else. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've learned. People say Louisiana has its own law too. But <coughs> uh, I, the first time I met Marty was at a Sabre meeting in Brooklyn cool. and I introduced myself as George Lyons' brother. My brother George knew more about baseball than anybody I ever met. George was buried in his Cardinals shirt and socks. Uh, I asked George why he was a Cardinals fan he said Fred Say gave him a hat I think he was the owner of the team I said well, was that before he went to prison yes <laughs> before okay, he went to prison much, right? nobody knows why Jeffrey is a Red Sox fan it's one of those never lived in Boston never went to school there just I was going to say likes underdogs but can't say that anymore and I am a fan of the 27 time world champion New York Yankees was
3: your father a baseball
1: fan he was his favorite players were Yogi
2: and Sandy Koufax. May I uh, jump in here with a Yankee connection for <laughs> a, the famous night at the Copa? <laughs> Do I need to explain that? Where okay. Hank Bauer and Mickey Mantle and Yogi and Johnny okay. Cooks... Elston Howard? El, no, Elston was not there. But anyway, they got into a fight, and there was huge headlines the next day, but his dad led them out the back door of <laughs> the Copa, <laughs> he, he knew his way around there, so they followed uh, Leonard Lyons out of the nightclub. Too. Yeah, and his
1: column the next day said there are three great battles in American history. Gettysburg, Iwo Jima, and the Copa Cabana. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he introduced me to uh, a lot of ball players at Shores, which is where they all went after All-Timer's Day, and I was, I don't know, 10 or 12, and not a baseball fan, and he introduced me to High Pockets Kelly, Hall of Famer. And I just thought, what a great name. That's just a great name. And that's the only impression <coughs> that I I was not a fan until I read Bowl Four. And there was an audible click in the back of my head. I said, oh, this is good. I like this. It's funny. Is any, have, he, has all, have you all read the book? Any well, there's a word that his coach, Joe Schultz Jr., uh, used like uh, shalom and aloha except it's a combination of two four letter words and
4: uh, (coughs) yes
1: Joe Schultz he used it for good for bad whatever it was that's what he said all the time so I'm introduced to Bouton at a bat dinner and I say how do you do when I said to Harte and he thought that was pretty funny Joe Schultz I looked him up (coughs) how many ballplayers can say I was scouted and signed by my father he was signed by Joe Schultz senior then I found six other players who were signed by their fathers. This is Luke, like Krause. Krause. There you go. So Luke Krause Sr. and Jr., right? Lou Krause Sr. was the youngest player in the league when he played, and his son was the youngest player in the league when he played. Anyway, the so made my brain work. And Marty said, would you like to do this book? I said, yes. And here
2: it is. So uh, one of the things I wrote in the <coughs> introduction is uh, because players today, as opposed to the, the old days... Players today can go on rehab assignments and have three games in the minor league <coughs> before they come back. You know, that appears in their career record. <coughs> so uh, with the help of a little of that, and also being traded a lot in midseason, being released a lot, being a free agent a lot, does the name Rudy Sienas mean anything to anybody here? Yeah. Well, Rudy Cienes, who pitched until 2010, <laughs> occupied his, his entry was 45 lines of year-by-year year, year, year stats to cover his 16 seasons, with an additional six lines for postseason, two lines of career totals, and then the listing of his trips to the disabled list, 12, <coughs> the times he filed for free agency, also 12, and the five times he was released uh, and the five times he was traded. So you can imagine how much space this took up in the book and how happy they would have been at who's who in baseball when he finally <laughs> retired. <laughs> and they could put six more guys in the book. <laughs> I
0: had a question uh, about the current issue. Uh, not, not the book, but the... The, the regular the edition. yeah. yeah. It's actually, I'm just relaying this question that a customer had about a week ago. Somebody bought the book, bought the uh, publication, and they're flipping through it. And you know, that's what happens. You just get into it and you start flipping and going. And he said, "Hey, why is Derek Jeter in here?" And I said, "Really?" So I looked, and Derek Jeter is in there. And so, on behalf of that, Jen, why is Derek Jeter in? the I think I can answer that
1: because he's Derek Jeter. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: um, Usually, if you retire, you're not in the next year's
2: edition. That's what I figured. But how many people are there? In no, they make exceptions for guys right. that you sort of want the final <coughs> complete record. Oh, I see. So they did it for Mariano the year before. Oh. Right. Um, Conerco, they did also in this edition. For those who want Paul Conurco's Career totals.
4: Is it still published by Harris?
2: It is. It's been published by Harris since the 50s, mid 50s. Right, right. Harris publishes like a hundred different magazines. I I worked there.
4: Oh. I I, I used to sort through like piles of dog news and who's (laughs) who in baseball to get to Slam Magazine with Ben Osborne. Yeah. And I, I I would tell them, I would tell Stanley 15 years ago when I was like 20 that you need to do more with this brand. And they would. And what with dog No, no. Who's doing base? Well, that's all so I came around. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad they <coughs> they spent some money, which is the rarity. So good for that. Good money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Quiet, yeah. Yeah, Right.
2: Another thing of interest that some reviewers of the book have pointed out was kind of interesting. There wasn't a black player on the cover <laughs> until Lou Brock in 1975. No, I think Willie Mays was. Willie Mays had a small picture, a a secondary picture. So I started to look at this, and I go back and all, and I saw like the most notorious where it should have been. The 1955 edition, following '54, uh, Willie Mays won the MVP award and made that remarkable catch in the World Series, and Alvin Dark is on the cover of the '55 edition. So there's nobody around who can ask what went behind that decision, but one presumes if you're in that business, you put on the cover that which you think will sell the most copies on the newsstand. So you can't say it was like an editorial racist-driven decision, it was really a reading of the marketplace at that time as to what people would buy. Jackie Robinson was never on the cover, Hank Aaron was never on the cover. Yogi and never on the cover. Yogi was never on the cover. Alvin Dark was such a famous player. I, mean, I know who Alvin was, but he was that revered at that time. Well, he was, was the shortstop on country. the World Champions, but uh, wasn't that great? He's not a Hall of Famer. Not that that's the criteria.
1: He had also, at different times, spoken out against the new people.
2: Yeah,
0: coming in. I'm yeah, wondering if this was a statement. I'm at another level.
2: You, there's nobody to ask. There's nobody to ask. Uh, The one question I'd love to ask, because this is an oddity, periodically they will add a new column. I mean, nothing like sabermetrics and the things that we see today on expanded stat sheets. But there was a time they added stolen bases, because they hadn't been in there. And even though it meant resetting the whole format for every player, they did it. This was remarkable when I stumbled on this. They did not have a home run column until 1940. Well, they missed uh, somehow Babe Ruth's <laughs> importance. In, in <laughs> no home run column in Who's Who in Baseball until 1940. What could that discussion have been like <laughs> sitting around, at that time the publisher was Baseball Magazine, there's only been two publishers, Baseball Magazine, and they went out of business in the 50s and Harris took it over. But can you recreate a discussion in a little conference room at Baseball Magazine? You think we ought to add home runs this year? (laughs) And somebody said, ah, that's a passing fad. They're going to go back to the dead ball. It's vulgar, (laughs) right? Home runs are vulgar. (laughs) Yeah. So that was the strangest thing I saw. You about. said those are the publishers. Was
1: there a particular person who was behind getting all the statistics? And yeah, the and
2: they were always sort of the stars of the statistical world. Pete Palmer, today, in their time, there was um, Alan Roth, the legendary Dodger statistician. Uh, Elias Sports Bureau did it for several years, Bill Shannon did it for some time. Um, Lanigan, I'm blanking on his first name, but he was he was at the Hall of Fame staff in the er, early years. the a or something like that. Yeah, he? and he was like the first guy that did it. So they always uh, they they got you know well qualified stars to do. it. When I heard
1: about the book, it reminded me of a book I have at home, the nineteen thirty three Who's Who hardcover copy. Yeah, I buddies, have a... these gentlemen dressed in their suits and things like that. and yeah. I realized it's not the same publication, it's who's who in the
2: major leagues. Yeah, a lot of people is that going on at the
1: same time or did yeah. that last a long time? I it, think it, Speed Johnson's a famous name.
2: Yeah, it actually went on for five or six years, but only that first year was it in hardcover. Then it became like a five by seven soft cover. Not as collectible, not as interesting. This was a beautiful book, nice Who's movie, Who in yeah. the Major Leagues. Every player went to a photo studio in Chicago where <coughs> Wow! Both leagues, you know, <coughs> went. So every player in the major leagues was photographed in this photo studio, and on his page, <laughs> even his home address. They had. <laughs> <laughs> they still do that. Yeah, they had everything: ancestry, the whole thing. Uh, but then they—it was the baseball family. It wasn't just the players; it was the managers, the coaches. Uh, the umpires, the broadcasters, 1933, they were broadcasters. The sports writers, uh, the club general managers, the trainers, they're all in there. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. I bought a copy in the early 90s for $250. And let me tell you, I don't do that very often. <laughs> but uh, there are some that still have a... Uh, a Jacket on them. My, the one I got did not, but, uh, but that's for a two hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, but that's <laughs> a coveted book. That's it's a great. beautiful book.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> uh, I guess people my age, uh, and I want to hear your answers because you're obviously very knowledgeable about the Wonder, especially what happened with the
2: Veterans in December when Bill Hodges got, I think, two point seven percent of the veteran folks. Does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame or not? Yes or no? For me, it's a yes with the qualification that I almost always say no if they had their fifteen shots with the sports writers and didn't make it, and that's usually the way I answer that question if it's anybody but Gill. In Gill's case, it's like, wait a minute, Snyder, Robinson, Campanella, uh, Reese—they're all in there, and at the time they played we thought of them all in the same sentence. So I think Hodges belongs in there, but I still kind of give the, that sentence about 15 years and you didn't make it with the writers.
1: How many of you own more than two editions of Who's Who in Baseball? Okay, great. it's It's and like... You the, get them for free. It's, <laughs> it's like the Joe Friday still of, <laughs> of baseball books, just the facts. No analysis, no opinions, just columns of facts before Baseball Encyclopedia, before Total Baseball, and particularly before the Internet. If you wanted the statistics, you had to read who's who in baseball. I wrote down a quote from the fictional Terence Mann. The one constant thought through all the years... I'm sorry, the one constant through all the years and I'm paraphrasing now, was who's who in baseball. It's part of our past. It reminds us all of that which was once good and could be again. And when you see the red cover in the bookstore or in the newsstand, because that's where it was sold a lot, as Marty said, you say, ooh, baseball's coming back. This is good. And maybe my team has a chance this year. Let's see how so-and-so did last year. A hundred years. That is a lot Mm, what is that right here? You could buy the first year of Who's Who in baseball for fifteen cents. Price didn't go up to a dollar until 1972. Probably cost a lot more – the 1972 edition probably cost you more than a dollar today. The first editions covered all two hundred players in the majors. Does that go back a few years?
2: Well, it there was never just two hundred. So the word all is probably is because it was always 400 at least.
1: Today it's 995 and it
2: covers 775 players. That's what it says. So. It's funny thing because it doesn't claim to have everybody that's almost impossible. I keep it on my coffee table in my living room. And during the course of the season, I'll go to it often uh, if a guy comes to bat that I'm not familiar with him. It seems like every time I go, the guy's not in the book. It's like, what's <laughs> going on? How come I'm always looking for the guys who aren't in the book when so few are really not in the book? The rookies have not be in the book, right? Uh, or if the guy, uh, you know, the previous year had slipped from the majors to the minors. Maybe he's not back in the new edition. It's just a crazy thing I have going on. I made a note that the... Uh there's only
1: one manager who appeared on the cover who was not a player manager. Anybody know who he is? Take a guess. Who would be such an important manager, not a player manager, to appear on the cover? Who said Eddie Dyer? Connie you know? back. Sorry? Cutting back. Eddie Dyer, the immortal Eddie Dyer. 19 was a mediocre pitcher, but... He managed the Cardinals for five years, including 1946 when they beat the Red Sox.
2: So he was the world champion manager. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Derek Jeter was never on the cover. You would think, under the belief of whoever will sell the most copies, we should put on the cover. Bob Grove was on the cover with that name. (laughs)
4: Jeter's (laughs) half black, so they still couldn't
1: put him on. I think those days were. When you put (laughs) somebody on the cover of a magazine like that, you have to pay. No. no, I asked somebody I know who was appeared on the cover. He said no, it was just a great honor. Uh, let's see, uh, other people who, like Alvin Dark, were not Hall of Famers who appeared on the cover: Mel Parnell, Bucky Walters, the late Al Rosen, Hank Sauer, Bobby Chance, and Jim Constanti. All had one or two very good seasons. Wound up on the cover. The person who appeared on the cover. The most, not a Hall of Famer, appeared four times. Pete Rose. But ask me in three months, and he will be a Hall of Famer. Pete Rose. Ken Griffey. Nope. The big unit.
2: Okay. okay. In at least three uniforms, I believe. You seen the first pitch you threw out uh, at the Diamondbacks? Yesterday or two days ago, he goes to the mouth. <laughs> 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 just throws like ninety-seven mile an hour. <laughs> 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 uh,
0: just a question. In the uh, as I was looking through the book, which, uh, it's really beautiful as you go go through it. I don't know if this came up in the research, but there were basically only four different cover designs. When it really gets down to it, uh, nineteen seventeen to nineteen twenty. 21 to 38, 39 to 51, and then basically 52 to the present is fairly close. It's yeah. not much of a difference.
2: The term size has changed. Yeah.
0: yeah. Did that come up at all in any of the research?
1: I think the photographs in the uh, early <coughs> years are just beautiful as a work the of heart. art, that works of art. Yeah. Uh, photographs or tinted pictures, because they didn't have color photography then as far as I know, uh, and the stylized picture of uh, somebody leaning back to throw. Just beautiful. There's one generic player, probably not sure who he is or why they couldn't find anybody else. Uh, they're just beautiful. And then they, it was one person on the cover for many years.
3: 227. It, 227. Just, I admire yeah, the vintage covers. It's beautiful, the vintage they covers are really beautiful, aren't they? Twenty-seven is when they had it down. Like I
2: said, I was in the process of buying the old ones, which I would get at card shows sometimes. But if Babe Ruth was on the cover, which right. I think he was twice, it would just made the price crazy. I understand he hit some home runs. You wouldn't know what you would to hit today. today. Know, <laughs> right. It's interesting, it's the most colorful cover almost. I'm saying, of all the vintage covers,
1: yeah.
0: the big cover <clears throat> is more colorful than the other vintage.
1: Did you ever see a bad photograph of Babe Ruth? Babe Ruth? Mm-hmm. I, I never saw a bad photograph. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing somebody said he will sell copies. Because <laughs> it's probably true.
2: <laughs> For those who don't know, <laughs> Ernestine Miller was one of the founders of the Babe Ruth Museum.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: That's very sweet. You did not founders, but <laughs> Founding directors. Well, I should have interrupted, but that's a that nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> But I was involved with the Babe Ruth Museum. If you've never been, it's quite a, a, quite a treasure. It's in Baltimore. It's only two blocks from Camden, Yards. I've been there. So, so but thank you, Marty. But I was involved with uh, the, the museum for many years, and I, I still love it. And it's it's one, part of two museums. But uh, as you, many of you do know, I mean, I, this is the 100th anniversary of Babe's first full season as a Red Sox in 1915 and
3: the 95th anniversary
1: of him coming to New York. I've been to the Ripken Family Museum, too. You drive to D.C. down uh, I-95, there's a sign. Ripken Family Museum over here. I stopped. It's It's about the size of this room. (laughs) (laughs) It's just wonderful. You can see the whole thing in half an hour, including the the gift counter. It's just lovely. And I don't know why other... It's uh, the address, I believe, is number seven, Cal Ripken Jr. Drive. (laughs) (laughs) Why other towns that are the birthplace of some Hall of Famer? I wrote to uh, Texark, I want to say Texarkana, the birthplace of Bill Dickey, is that right, Texarkana? I Um, I can't remember. I think of him as Little Rock, but. uh, I'm sorry, some lawyer in Arkansas. And I said, is there a statue, a museum, a street, something named after Bill Dickey? guy wrote me back and he said, I'm the town historian. There's somebody here who thinks he's heard of Bill Dickey. I think this guy is a very underrated Hall of Famer. They say when a pop foul went over Dickey's head, he could tell whether it was going to land in the stands or not, so he didn't chase balls that were out of play. (laughs) That's a a talent. We
2: we digress (laughs) a moment, but since you bring up Bill Dickey, um, is really underrated today because... Even as recently as the late 60s, when Yogi Berra was fresh in people's minds, Dickey was voted the best catcher in Yankee history. In 1969, there was lots of centennial-related polls. Dickey was really thought of as the man, the the best catcher, if not in baseball history, certainly in Yankee history. But the power of Yogi, just being (laughs) around all these years... People loving everything about him, including the way he stood up to George Steinbrenner during those years of the boycott. Yogi is like surpassed Bill Dickey like this. If you ask people, you know, who's the best catcher in Yankee history, everybody says Yogi Berra. Bill Dickey, very underappreciated. Nobody
1: remembers any witty things that Bill Dickey said. (laughs) I mean, that's I mean, you remember everything Yogi said. First
3: recipient of the Yankee. uh, In 1976, they did their first dinner, and he was the first recipient. Oh,
2: that's nice. The welcome home dinner. The welcome home.
3: And he spoke. I happened to go there. It was a reasonable price at that time. Uh (laughs) (laughs) And he was very humble.
2: He he managed the team for two years? No, he managed the team for two months. That's what I meant.
3: And they wouldn't give him
2: a contract guarantee (laughs) for 47, so he quit. And he sat out the whole 47 season back in Little Rock, and then when Casey came to manage in '49, and Yogi was a, a, you know, just learning catching, they brought Dickey back.
1: Yeah, Yogi said he learned me all his experiences. Yeah.
2: those welcome home luncheons—they um, used to be until the mid '50s or late '50s, they would be in the uh, Concourse Plaza Hotel, and they would be welcome home lunches before opening day game. The whole team would be at the Concourse Plaza Hotel on the Grand Concourse right by Yankee huh. Stadium. They'd finish lunch. They'd pile into buses, go three blocks to Yankee Stadium, and that was the ritual for opening day.
3: Well, I don't
2: even think it's three blocks. Right, away <laughs> <laughs> So you never know what you're going to
4: learn when you come here. I have a hundred-year thought, um, and it's something that bothers me is because this has changed me in the last two decades of... Me being a 14 year old fan and now a 34 year old fan. You see it in spring training, we understand there's free agency. The players are, they've been critiqued a lot in the NBA, <coughs> NBA players being fraternizing off the field, so to speak, off the court. I don't like when a player gets to the first base, lies in the third, and you can see that he's right close with the guy on the opposing team. And even since the 80s, I've seen change in that. And it's understandable. They spend a lot of time off the field even though they're on opposing teams. Um, how do you gentlemen feel about that, you know, being baseball men for a long time?
1: I asked, I'm sure Marty knows this much better than I do, but I asked an umpire about the non fraternization rule. Okay. During batting practice, an umpire who was going to umpire the forthcoming game would sit somewhere in the stands and watch to see who's fraternizing with guys on the other team. Not supposed to do it. And they'd get fined. Yeah, they would get fined. $50 or $100. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't think a $50 fine means much today to a guy who's making $4 million a year. So they don't enforce that anymore. Well, part know.
2: of it is the union. In yep. that they're all brothers in the same union. Sure. A lot of them have the same agent. That's right. Yeah. And, um, yeah, well, there is more of a camaraderie today. But,
0: you
2: know, it wasn't one of those things that ever bothered me, really. I think they play hard. I don't think they ever, uh, you know, cut a break to a an opponent because they happen to have the same agent or something like that.
4: Probably not. They all took McGuire's hand though for all the wrong reasons. The Cubs playing Brown the bases, so it's, it's not always. Right. Yeah. But, you know.
3: Well,
0: you had Yankees that didn't even fraternize with each other. Yes.
2: That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Takes us back to the Reggie years.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that's if you were lucky. <laughs> that's of those guys. Yeah. Well, who hates those
2: guys? <laughs> So, who wants to talk about Pete Rose? That usually uh, comes up. But Yes?
1: Is he a Hall of Famer or not?
2: Well, looks like Rob Manfred will decide. Um, what, well, my opinion? You know, should we see a show of hands first? Should he be exonerated and made eligible for the Hall of Fame? <laughs> Is that the choice? Should he be so made eligible be for the He's not going to be exonerated.
1: But has he paid his pen? 25 year ban from
2: baseball. I'm really like a nice guy about almost anybody's infractions and the big price buck coming on. With Pete, I can't get past the crime because there's things that not everybody seemed to grasp out of the Dowd report, which are dreadfully true. First of all, if you bet on every game the Reds played, so you say, all right, you know, this was all about winning for him. That's Pete. But he didn't. He didn't bet on every game. So what was going on with the days he didn't bet? That's really troubling. Because it may not have been true, but on the days he didn't bet, he was delivering a message to his bookmakers. I'm not betting tomorrow. Wink. And let's say he owed his bookmakers $2,500. Is he getting even and not having to pay because he's giving them a tip? Just raising the suspicion is so serious to me. That's a terrible thing. Furthermore, people try and distinguish between, well, as a player, we're just voting on him as a player. What he did as a manager is really not part of his plaque anyway. I mean, he's the hit king, you know. It's, he bet as a player, he bet as the player manager. But in those years that he was player-manager, he was placing Rose <coughs> Is that part of the Dow Report? It's in the Dow Report. Now, Kostya Kennedy in Sports Illustrated last week wrote about Rose, and he put in there that uh, Pete bet as a player. And I was like, really? I didn't know that was part of... Uh, Play,
0: uh, not player-manager, player.
2: Well, he wrote player. Player. The Dow Report which I went back to, says player-manager. Yeah. Just, just the Right. So, so <laughs> Excuse I, me one, you one second. How right. his achievements on the field as a player yeah. and what he did
4: later on as a player-manager? Well, leader.
2: if he was still a player and he could influence the outcome of a game as a player, pretty serious stuff. He also lied about it for 25 years. He and he wrote it. three he books... Uh, uh, mm-hmm.
1: One of them with um, Roger Kahn. Roger Kahn said, uh, "Oh, I didn't do it. I'm being frank." Does he have to disgorge all the money he made from those books before uh, he should be eligible? I, you know, if they, if Rose is allowed, I agree with everything Marty said. If Rose, if Manfred allows Rose to be eligible, what about uh, Joe Jackson? The yeah, more twenty-five years before, for I've him, and he took one of the forty-eight dollars. How much did Jackson take? Not and no. also, Rose is a felon. You know, he went to federal prison for uh, cheating on his income oh, taxes. Too. I beg your pardon? Oh, the bank's my brother. <laughs> He's not in either. I think the only way Rose possibly Joy, gets in Joy. is posthumously. Joy. So he can't gloat about Joy. it. Right.
3: I'm sorry to say that <laughs> again. Yeah, but you know, in growing up, and I, there was a sign on every school board. Still it is. is. It, right? Still is. In big letters, it's not as easy to find sometimes with all the stuff up yeah. there. But the other thing was that they had a meeting every year, kicking That's off right. the season That's right. that said, and they discussed this specifically about betting on the game. And in the, every clubhouse, the size of this what? picture up here is, if you bet on baseball, you are banned for life. And that was, that was paramount in the whole scheme of going into baseball. I so imagine
2: play. what I thought when I went to Yankee Stadium opening day two days ago, and there's billboards all over the place. Oh yeah, so something. DraftKings, <laughs> oh. <laughs> right. the official daily fantasy partner of Major League Baseball. DraftKings.com More sports, more winnings, more millionaires with the MLB logo.
0: <laughs> and, <laughs> and City Field has the Caesar Palace, Caesar uh, Suite. Yeah, not a so
3: I'm not a player. Yeah. Okay. And so that's it. But, but there used to the be solutes, used to no can't. betting for but the fans. I remember as a kid sitting in the corner of the of the, of the uh, bleachers at Yankee Stadium. You could get down right in the corner, and the Yankee dugout, Yankee bullpen was right there, and the players sat right there. And you were, and I was ten years old. Like I'm really going to slip them up. Piece of paper that says throwing in the dirt," <laughs> <laughs> and they would not look at you. They wouldn't talk to you. They they never signed an autograph on the side of the rails. In the, the I used to go to games. They never signed for kids. They just they were not allowed to go near the stands during before the game. This was because they were not supposed to have any contact no. with anybody prior to the game.
2: It's true, and in fact, the modern era of players much more accommodating since the strike of 94-95 when they were you know the fans thrust the ball into the stands. yeah that that. since when that all started
3: but I remember it because uh, I had an my uncle was uh, had a section he was a member of the section five club in the Navy stadium mm-hmm. which was all the sports writers <coughs> and was she was right above Mel Allen and my aunt didn't like to go up because he would go to the club mm-hmm. and no were allowed. And I, and I hated the secret because you couldn't see the field. And uh, he would, you know, we talked about it, he told talking all the time about, about the players. Wasn't there, wasn't there a time when uh, it was Willie and Mickey who some, were thrown
0: out of there's Something happened with them? Yeah, Willie Hume
2: suspended Willie and Mickey for being greeters and PR people, really, for casinos in Atlantic City. Under the belief that they would be working with professional gamblers, and it would be right for them to be associated with baseball if that was their job,
1: but or there were in. owners who owned the racehorses and racetracks. I want to say Pittsburgh owner, maybe. Yeah. Uh, a slight double standard. Yeah. When Uberath came in, the first thing he did was uh, restore Mantle and the uh, Maze, I believe. Right.
2: Yeah.
4: Uh, Roger Clemens got
2: only 30% of the writers' vote this year. He's been acquitted of criminal charges.
1: So were the Black Sox? Pardon? So were the Black Sox? Acquitted? Yes, they were acquitted. Yes, they were. Is he going to be a Hall of Famer or not?
2: <clears throat> My own guess, and it's nothing more than a guess, is that maybe it'll take a, the next generation of sports writers to come along and be the majority of the sports writers who vote I just think with the passage of time some influential like next generation's Peter Gammons will say you know what I'm voting for all of them they were the best players of their time they weren't trying to lose games they were trying to play better make more money uh, I'm voting for all of them and it could be from that I did the Hall of Fame reduce the eligibility for that's meaningless. Meaningless? Yeah, because they the only guys that ever got in in years 10 to 15 got in in year 15. People saying, all right, last chance, I'm voting for it. So that'll now happen in year 10.
3: Should the baseball, My thing is, should the baseball writers be the sole arbitrator of who gets in or not? Because, first of all, they, a lot of papers don't have like uh, last year, Seattle didn't even send a, a reporter out the last
2: month of the season. The New York, New York Times doesn't send anybody out and, with the mitts. And out. the uh, so and the other thing is, is the
3: writers. I mean, I guess should they be slow? Well, we're seeing
2: a change in the composure of you know the composition of what is media. Uh, for a long time, it, the sports writers were the logical ones. They're not going to willingly concede that other people should come into their territory, so it will not be without a battle. But there are a lot of well qualified guys who don't work for print newspapers Mm -hmm. who know the game really well.
1: I think maybe the uh, election of uh, Roger Angel, who was a magazine writer, maybe the first straight magazine writer
2: to uh, to win this paper. He was the first guy who wasn't in the Baseball Writers Association. But over time, you know, there are going to be people who write for Grantland or who write for uh, Yahoo or yeah. Huffington Post.
4: Well, like a Ga- who could say that Gary Cohen doesn't deserve a Hall of Fame vote at this point? Nick <laughs> <member>. Right. Yeah, <laughs> sure. My thought on Rose, and I, I, I've taught baseball with both your nephew and your daughter in, in the room, with Deborah and Ben. Um, and my thought, you know, and we both, we've all had a chance to earn in the business of sport, so we're lucky, you know, that this is turning on the other side of 30 I don't think he, any one of us would say that we don't recognize the Hall of Fame merits of Rose, even though we didn't really see him play, Griffey, Bonds, uh, well, Griffey certainly, but Bonds, um, Clemens, particularly. And we recognize them. Their jerseys, their milestones are in the Hall of Fame. You Sosa and McGuire, too? Yeah, Sosa and McGuire. You could take, take a trip to Cooperstown as a young person, if, you're, if you are if care at all about baseball, at 14, which most don't, and recognize what they their merits in the game of baseball doesn't really matter to us to have to go see the plaque, so therefore I feel like they don't deserve the plaque. I know I know what they did, and I know where they went wrong. Nobody's saying, we're kicking your Pittsburgh Pirates jersey and your Red Sox twenty strikeout jersey out, and we're, we're practicing right. uh, selective... But you know, do you know they, really they really did something wrong?
3: Do we, uh, Certainly. We, do you really? Do we really it? Uh, I, I know, I know uh, Doug's
0: a lawyer, but yeah. do we have Barry, any other... Uh, Chris, see do, do we it. have any other questions not... Uh, any of the gents or Ernestine who would like to ask a question. I want to make sure everybody has the time before the podcast expires. Norman, did you have a question? Okay.
4: I thought you had one. All right. Anybody have any answers? Well, I have a a question then. uh,
0: uh, What are your thoughts about the current... uh, the attempts to supposedly speed up the game because it's too slow
1: you know I, I remember when I would watch a game on television and they would say oh the managers walking out to the mound he's signaling for the lefty or whatever and as you watch the new pitcher get in the little car and drive in you would say no wait a minute what's the situation who's coming up to bat who's on base? How many outs are there? What is this base runner like? Is he a base dealer? You have time to think in baseball. Uh, It's not like other games. There's no clock and I like having time to think. I don't want to go to a game with problem Fisk behind the plate and my cargo of batting every game because it would be a nine hour game. I understand that. I tried to end uh, maybe Pedro Martinez on the mound if he take a long time to. I like the Jim Cat style of pitching. Give me the ball. Here's my pitch. He always pitched like he was double-part. I like okay. that. But
2: I, I don't think the game needs speeding up. To me, there's a big difference between being at the game or watching <coughs> it on TV. If you're at the game, there's so much going on. You know, looking at other fans, yep. watching the scoreboard. Uh, <laughs> show to other fans or following the scores. Uh, It's faster paced if you're there in person. And at home, you know, the commercials will drive you crazy, but they're paying the salaries. Um, The changes they're going to try this year, you know, if they save seven minutes a game, are we really going to feel a difference? And you're tinkering with something that's pretty perfect. So, yeah, they take a lot longer than they used to, but to save seven minutes, I don't think tinkering with it is a good idea. <coughs> Having said that, let me tell you about something coming up on April 18th, which is a week from Saturday. The Long Island Ducks out in Central Islip will play an exhibition game against the Bridgeport Bluefish, and they will play three balls and you walk. Mm-hmm and a foul on with two strikes is strike three uh, it's just a one time thing it's not like to test it and maybe do it during the season there's no intention of doing it during the season it's a one time exhibition thing It'd be very interesting to see how fast that game goes
1: but I think they're not part of League baseball no
2: they're, they're independently the kind of like yeah. ABA and do you think that that model will prevail over no nah. No. Never. Never. Thank you. Even even if the people at the Ducks really didn't want to do it. But uh, there's a novelist in Brooklyn named Paul Auster, Mm -hmm. and he came up with this idea and gave it to Andy Martino of the Daily News. So they contacted the Ducks, or I'm sorry, they contacted the Atlantic League because the Atlantic League was pretty ahead of their time with pace of play changes last year. And it's worth it to the Ducks to get a full-page column on this sure. for an exhibition game, just for the attention that, hey, you know, there's a team in Long Island. Mm-hmm. So uh, that'd be interesting. I'm going to go. It probably go
1: 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> now, there, there's a lot
2: of little subtleties that they didn't totally think through. Like, what happens... Got two strikes, and a guy goes to steal second, and the ball is fouled off. Does he have to be sent back to first? Because there's no way you could throw, you know? So it's going to be a lot of little subtle things that happen there.
3: The last game of the season this year, every team is going to play at the same time. It was announced. I didn't know that. 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> they set the time as 3 o'clock, so it's going to be like 6 in the Eastern. Three o'clock in the West Coast. They want to play the last game of the season. Every so let it short, all end. So nobody knows if you're in a dead heat. Who's go- who, if you you know?
2: You don't have to sit around and wait to see. Well, the
3: team also can't hold back their pitcher to say, "Okay, I want." They lost, so I don't have to pitch my best guy. It was we? We made it into the playoffs, oh, I, 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 so they're going to play in the last game. The that's interesting. You
1: remind me of uh, an item I snuck in here after each year I put in just some odd things that happened during the year important things that happened during the year uh, Snuffy Sternweiss Yankee player led the league in batting only one day during the season the last day And never,
2: as far as I know it never happened before Anybody know why his nickname was Snuffy? I'm afraid to ask <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's chewing tobacco. Chewy tobacco. Chewy oh, percent,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You were talking about changes, you know, uh, to speed up the. What about the uh, talking about spe- uh, trying to pick up the offense again? You know, things about shifts and all that. Uh, you think there's any anything that would be really looked at? You know?
2: Well, I'm sorry what the shifts are doing. I understand why the hitters don't go the other way and try and beat the shifts because quote this is the swing that got me here I'm not messing with this but um, I don't think it's a good thing for baseball but it's not the kind of thing I would legislate against so
3: but it was painful opening day
2: yeah for the Yankee situation I'm not this is usually I'm pretty optimistic but this year it really depends on Beltran Teixeira McCann, Rodriguez, Sabathia—that's five guys that they're counting on playing like 2011 again. Rolling back the clock four years for five guys—it's a lot to count. Yeah, on. But the
3: ship was on and it was never off, and I was sitting there because my seat's at two seven section two seventeen, so I can see the battle. I can see where you can plot the battlefield, the battleship, and and the field, and you know and. All over here, and I was thinking about it, and I kept thinking they had they had the same guys. They had all three guys. First of all, does the ship neutralize even being a switch hitter anymore? You know, That's like a switch hitter if you're best if you're best at batting right handed and you get up and you're left handed and you're a dead pull hitter and they're all shifting on you? Why don't you just go back to batting right handed only then? But, yeah, but the, you,
2: you notice none of them go the other way. But
3: I thought about it when I was looking at the field and i was thinking maybe you have to rethink your lineup too now. In other words, maybe you take a guy like Ells- uh, Ellsbury and you take a gardener and you say, then I don't need the Gardner maybe leads off but I'm going to bat McCann second now. And I'm going to have Ellsbury bat fourth. I'm not going to have my stack So if, Because if you got a guy on base that can run they can't just shift the way they shift on these... On his left-handed bat, his third baseman is almost behind second base on some of those shifts on the Yankees. Yeah. So if you can, so you gotta then figure out maybe the lineup, the traditional concept of the table setter, the slugger, you know, and then the next, the three, uh, the three last guys up. But I mean, change. You might have to think about how you look at your lineup. Right. Break it up. You said something about, this is the swing I have, but I think some of the players
0: uh, are are really stubborn. Last year, DeShera said, I'm not, I'm being paid to hit on runs. To me, he's being paid to drive in runs. Not, if you can drive in runs, if you're getting shut off all the time, go the other way if the guy's on the (coughs) base or something. I think
1: that they're really thinking very short-sighted.
2: Yeah. But uh, I've been been with players, and I'll just say that... uh so I've been swinging like this since I was in high school. That's what got me here. I'm not changing now.
3: But, uh, but so I can't hear it anymore. If the uh, sheriff's out in the 230s now or whatever. So hit it where they ain't. So and It's, it's, it's so also going to change how they're going to want to develop these minor leaders.
4: Mm-hmm. And what does that say about baseball and the, the way baseball was played uh, years ago when players would go to the opposite field? And that was part of what they did. It was part of what they worked on. It was part of the craft. It was part of spending those four or five years in the minor leagues or, you know, learning to move runners over learning to do little things nobody and wants to spend four
1: or five years in the minor leagues anymore well I know you're it's, right I agree with you but
4: it's, it's still nobody you know,
3: wants to you know, do that. The, the value is Cody Decker
1: you know? uh,
2: sans <laughs> Cody Decker's license plate is upper Decker
3: <laughs> <laughs> but the shift is you know, everybody does it. And they, I even saw shifts on right-handed batters last game. Which, it shocked me.
2: Yeah, I know,
3: you know what you mean. Uh, I, had, I, I, know, I thought about the, it and then yeah. I was sitting at a game and I realized they had a shift on right-handed batter. And it was like, and he hit into the shift. Oh. You know, and, uh, so, it's gonna be a problem. I mean, get the speed of game. I mean, if you want to watch one-nothing or you want to
0: we can uh, if there are other questions we can keep going but we are going to have to say farewell to the podcast audience so I, I would just once again for those of you listening please pick up the book wherever you are 100 years of who's who in baseball published by Lions press no relation to Doug Lyons but written by Doug Lyons with a foreword by Marty appel thank you gentlemen thank you <laughs>